Welcome to Shit, I Just Quit My Job. I'm your host, Maricela Herrera. And I'm here in New York City, currently reconsidering all of my life decisions, as I tend to do when the weather gets cold. Today, I have a really great treat for you. This was one of the first episodes I planned. Not one of the first I recorded because, I don't know, it felt like I wanted to keep it close to my vest or, or, or you know, like, I don't know. I knew I was going to do it. From the moment I decided to make this podcast, this story was going to be a part of it. Today you'll hear from Tina Pettigrew. She's my friend and former co-worker who left her job to follow her dream to become a mixed martial arts fighter. Yep, she went pro as an MMA fighter. And she didn't just leave any job. I was Tina's manager when she finally actually left. Not when she made the decision, I don't think. Uh, she, She worked through it for a while But when she finally took the jump, I was her manager. Tina is one of the strongest people I know, both literally and figuratively. She's a total badass. I admire her not just for how she followed her dreams and had the courage to do so, but because she's also had the courage to work on herself internally, to think about her past and her upbringing and the why she sees the world the way she does, and use all of that to build a life that fulfills her. She's awesome, and I, I, I really love her. I had a great time talking to Tina, or as I like to call her, Tuba. She drops a lot of truth bombs in this one, um, including a few things I really needed to hear. So... I hope you enjoy and I hope some of these truths also resonate with you and that if there are things you need to hear, maybe you find them here. Thank you and see you next time. Nobody goes through life without difficulties, you know, and we all doubt like where we are at some point. Should I make a move? How do I know it's the right time? You know, and I think hearing other people's stories can help give us the confidence to do what we know is right in the first place for ourselves. I think so. I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I had if I would have just jumped if I didn't know people who have yeah. done things like that, like you, for example. People who've done it and been okay and come out the other side yeah, and it, happier and like it, it is that whole thing where it's like, yeah, it might seem like the world is upside down now, but or like maybe not what you wanted, but believe it or not, it's the beginning of something better. Whether you can see it or not, or whether it feels that way or not, is like totally beside the point, you know? In the big picture, you'll look back in five, 10 years from now and be like, thank God that happened. Sometimes I'm like, I wish it happened earlier. Yeah. I'm really excited that you're here, Tina, or as I call you, Tuba. Uh, <laughs> I do want to say something before we start uh, and go into your background because I need to point out oh, yay. the motherfucking shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. It looks awful. 
And this was actually the year that I quit. Really? This was a pick. Yeah. It's like I had gone into 2019. I had written down in a journal. I had like five or six goals. And by December 2019, December 2019, the last two got checked off. Oh, my God. So I, I every single one of those goals in that year, I uh, made happen. Yes, I'm not surprised. You're pretty much of a put your mind onto something and just go person. Yeah, to a fault sometimes. Yeah. And you are the second person I interview who actually quit while I was their boss. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no hurry. Not at all, especially if you quit to go follow what you want to do. Yeah. Just I think the most important thing. And I, I've been extremely lucky to maintain relationships and friendships with people who I worked with. Um, like you. Sorry. Yeah, I think that, you know, work is work, right? But at the end of the day, you spend so much time with the people that you work with mm-hmm. that I think there are some things that transcend. Work, I agree. You know, and for me to in life in general, to have integrity, my parents taught me to have integrity since I was really young, like who you are. Say what you're going to say. Do what you're going to do. Don't flake, you know, things like that. Um, So I found myself in this situation and a lot of situations maintaining friendships with people that I used to work with, even though like the workplace exploded or we all moved on or whatever, just because I feel like that's, you know, as far as the big picture of life, the relationships and the people that you meet, they last, even though the businesses and the positions I agree. I agree. Let's do a little backtrack. I always like asking the person I'm talking to to introduce themselves and kind of your backstory. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of go from there. Okay. So, hi, my name is Tina Pettigrew. I'm a professional MMA fighter. Um, and I also coach and teach martial arts professionally. So, I didn't try martial arts at all or even think about it in my life at all until I was 27 years old. What happened is I had just gotten my master's in bioethics from NYU. I had just graduated and I was working in the nonprofit space. The job that I had part-time while I was in grad school turned into a full-time. And that's kind of how I am in general. Like at the time and even now, what will happen is I'll go into a workplace or a situation and I'll like have a mission to be like, I'm going to prove that they need me or that I'm valuable or that I'm number one or whatever the case is. So they took me on full time, but I still didn't feel happy. I didn't, wasn't like living a life where I felt fulfilled. I was like kind of fat and depressed. That's the way I like to put it. I feel like a lot of people feel fat and depressed at some point in their life and you're just kind of like stuck. That's how I felt. So I wanted to try something new, and um, long story short, I ended up walking into a Muay Thai gym. That's a Thai style of kickboxing in New York City. It's called Evolution Muay Thai, and I tried my first class and just kind of got really obsessed with kickboxing. And in fact, I was training kickboxing casually at that gym when I first interviewed for Elevate. When I mentioned it in the interview, I said, hey, like, I want to put my all into whatever job I have, but I do have this hobby that is really fulfilling to me. And I want to compete in kickboxing at some point while I'm on staff here. So, 
you know, that's a big part of my life. And I want to make sure you guys understand that. Like I said that in the interview. So basically six, seven years later after that, (laughs) I decided to, one thing led to another. There was a lot going on, but one thing led to another. And I decided that I wanted to turn professional in fighting and that I would leave a full-time big girl job to pursue mixed martial arts. I've always loved that you studied bioethics, but your big girl jobs, as you called them, were mostly kind of in comms, social media, marketing. It was very different from what you thought you were going to do. So this is my trajectory. Let's rewind back to high school, right? So my favorite, my very favorite subject was science. So, and looking back on it, I know why. I used to always say to people, oh, everything's subjective except science is real. Like you can put it on paper. These are facts. So we don't have to discuss any of this because this is what it is. It's like formulas, stuff like that. So I found comfort in science. Now that I realize how I grew up and why science was comforting to me, it makes sense. But science was my favorite um, subject growing up. So I, when I went to the University of Florida for undergrad, I was pre-med. And then when I was there, I did an internship. Well, I did internship volunteering in the hospital and very quickly realized that I did not want to be a doctor anymore. So then after I graduated, I was like, well, I still like science. I still want to like maybe work in medicine. So I went to NYU for my master's in bioethics thinking, okay, New York City, there's going to be a lot of exposure to different opportunities there. Turns out there was. (laughs) So when I went to NYU and studied bioethics, I did more internships, right? To like see if I wanted to go into policymaking, um, see if I wanted to go into like the actual hospitals, lawmaking. I don't know. I wasn't sure yet. So I interned at the United Nations at the Internal Oversight Services, a legal office. And then I interned at NYU Bellevue Hospital at the Program for Survivors of Torture. So let me just give you an idea of my mentality back then. I My thesis was on torture, okay? I know, it's insane. Well, because it's like all about, it's philosophy. Bioethics is like philosophy of morality and things like that. Having been at the United Nations and the Program for Survivors of Torture, I was like, you know, and also I was working at a nonprofit at the time that was working with a lot of social services in New York City. And it was just a lot of darkness. It was like a lot of really terrible things happened to not terrible people. It seemed like there was not a lot of justice. Like I just was seeing all of these things that were really like stressing me out and making me feel sad. Like I, it was bringing me down. And um, I realized I'm too sensitive for that. I'm not one of those people that's built to be able to see blood and guts every day or to see people in pain and like do my best to help them and then go home and not think about it. It was too much for me. Like I couldn't, I thought that I could, like I'm tough in a lot of other ways, but it was just too much for me at the time. I I guess, I think they call it you're an empath. You know, I just like was not equipped at the time to make that my life. And so I, I am grateful to my past self that I was honest with myself about that because I do think there are people who choose careers that are wrong for them thinking it's the right thing to do. Other people pressured them to do that and all of that. So I am glad that that even back then I had like an inkling of intuition, like, okay, this isn't the right thing for you. And I was brave. I was brave enough to be like, okay, you have to do something else. Let's figure something else out. 
So yeah, I have all these, this background and all these things because I thought they were interesting and I had no real direction until I got into the actual space where I was doing the work and I was like, okay, maybe not. So that's how I ended with all of that stuff and then not, not pursuing a career in it. Let's put it that way. But it did benefit me. The education benefited me significantly in my future ex- work experiences because when people ask me if grad school is worth it, I say no. And well, it depends, right? But for me, what ended up happening is as the education level increased, the amount of reading that they give you is not, it does not make sense. It's like, a shitload of reading, a shitload of writing. It's just like totally insane. And now that I think about it, there's probably reasons they do that that are not necessarily for the benefit of the student. But but because I just read and wrote and read and wrote and read and wrote and discussed, I became a good writer. And I would say a really good communicator, probably through that tip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do think, and I think the good communication also comes from being in therapy, um, which is something that not a lot of people think about. But I think I had to like figure out how to say things to people that I was afraid to say for such a long, for a lifetime. (laughs) And, you know, I had to learn how to put up boundaries and things like that and to do them in a healthy way. So it, uh, I had to practice a lot. I had to practice communicating with people. Oh, and I also learned that helps with that. Yep, that's true. That's true. That you get the people skills pretty down pat if you're doing that. Why? Well, I can talk to almost anyone in any state. <laughs> so I want I do want to focus on your journey into martial arts because I mean, I look, I brag about you all the time. It's it's crazy to me because I saw you go from like you said, I have this passionate hobby to yeah i'm going all in and and first i do want to thank you for saying you felt fat and depressed because one thing i do want to do with this podcast is i am very open about my mental health issues i talk about depression and anxiety all the time and i think we have to talk about it it's normal we go through it and not a lot of people mention it um yeah I credit running with helping me through a lot of it. And I would say that's kind of your case with martial arts. Oh, for sure. The way that we have adapted as humans is insane. It's It does not make sense to sit in front of a screen for eight hours a day and not move around and work, like physically work. Uh, our bodies just have not developed the way that our brains have. So they're, they don't understand that we don't have to physically work to survive anymore. So I think that our bodies are still in a state where the more you physically work, the more everything works better. It's almost like every time you work out, it's a flush for everything. It gives you all of the feel good hormones that you need. It, you know, makes you feel useful. It makes you, uh, honestly, that adrenaline and all of that stuff, like, you know, I have a not love-hate relationship with it, but a complicated relationship with it. Because whenever I have, you know, an injury or something, I can't train at the level that I'm used to. And it's almost addictive, mm-hmm. those hormones, right? But the truth of the matter is, you look at any science at all, and it says that you got to be active in order to be healthy. It's it's pretty basic. It's just that we all forgot yeah. it. 
you know, and I think because martial arts to me was very mentally engaging, like I learned more things and it kept me interested. Um, that's kind of what kept me hooked. Yeah. You know, but plus also I started feeling things that I haven't felt since I was a kid. Like I felt powerful. I felt confident. I was having fun with my friends. I was hitting things going crazy. I was allowed to feel angry. I was allowed, like, it felt nice for people to be like, oh, you're so strong. I'm like, who, me? Like, it took me, like, years to accept that, you know? And to finally, like, it's crazy. I've been an athlete my whole life, and I never thought of myself as an athlete until I turned pro and started making money, you know? Yeah, I was going to point out, you said you had always worked out, and I don't think we you mentioned this, but you were a gymnast growing up. Yeah, I was very early into gymnastics as a youngster. Yeah, yeah, it was like my identity. It was all I ever thought about. Yeah. Even when I went to school and would get straight A's, my teachers would be like, oh, well, gymnasts are the strongest people in the world. You know, like it was, I was obsessed. Yeah. I yeah. quote you a lot because when I started running, I remember texting you and being like, Tina, everything hurts. Like, I don't want to do this. And you always said yeah. to me, no one likes running until they like running. And it, like just every time I was like, no one likes running until they like running. I know. And then it becomes addictive at a certain point. You're just like, oh, this is what I do now. Um. Anyway, so you started with uh, martial arts when you were 27, which people kind of grow up, particularly if they want to be pros in the sport. How did you get over the hump of like mentally saying to yourself, like, wait, I can do this? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think what happened is, so the way that I grew up was very much like, I had to overachieve to get attention. It's just, so, so it became a part of me to like, beat everyone at everything, but act like I wasn't taking up space. I think that's common with women. So when I as an adult, started doing sports again, and I started, you know, doing kickboxing and jujitsu, my coaches took notice. So my coaches, adult men, uh, would take me aside and say, like, I remember one of them was like, he was like, hush hush about it, but wanted to make sure I understood what he was talking about. He was like, you are the strongest and most determined person in this room, men and women. Don't forget that. And I was like, I had just started. Okay. But he saw something in me. Um, you know, and I got feedback like that from my coaches. And it and, you know, I don't know what made me think that I could do it. I guess what happened is my friend Angela, mm-hmm. who I had trained with at the gym, got on this show, The Ultimate Fighter. She transitioned from kickboxing to MMA. And so I got to see her on TV. This is like early in women in MMA, like right when Rhonda was getting a lot of notoriety. And um, I just remember, first of all, seeing a lot of like women fighting and being like, I could do that. I know it sounds crazy, but I was just like, I could do that. Like, why, why are they allowed to do that? But I'm not allowed to do that. What's holding me back from that? You know, And so when I saw that Angela like got into the UFC and was winning fights and stuff, I was like, oh, this is someone I hung with in the gym. So maybe I could do that, too. So then I checked out the gym that she was training at in San Diego. I went to go visit. And when I visited, they let me train with the pro team. 
and I could hang. And I really didn't have that. Like, I really didn't know what I was doing, looking back on it, technique-wise or anything. But there's just, now that I coach martial arts, I see that there's a difference between people who have it and don't have it. And again, I like look back on my past self and I'm like, wow, like you were really wise to know that you had it. Like I just knew that I could. And because of that, I would fall asleep at night being like, damn, what am I going to do this? Like thinking about it. And I already knew from experience in the past of something similar that I was thinking about before I go to bed at night. Like, okay, well, you have to do because what are you going to do? You're going to be like in your 50s, 60s, grandma age. And you're going to be like, man, what if I did that? That's not a reality I'm I'm willing to accept. I would rather like I thought about like how risky it would seem to people. And then I was like, yeah, but to me, it seems like Bill Burr has this really good quote. He's like, or you think it's risky to chase your dreams? It's risky to not chase your dreams. Like, think about that. Think about like what would happen if you didn't try the thing you wanted to try. That sounds like a miserable insistence. No, not for me. That's not what it, like, I don't, there's nothing else I care about more than, than myself and how I live this life, you know? Yeah, I do. And I needed to hear that. <laughs> I mean, people act like life is complicated, but, and it can, definitely can be, of course, things are crazy right now, like just to survive. But at the same time, it's like, it, it really is as simple as you're willing to make it. Yeah. I think the fact that you were hearing that positive feedback certainly had to do had to you know create quite a bit also of momentum so to speak for you like to feel like yes I can do this yes I I want to do this but you were you were doing MMA and working full time for Uh like a long time like it was a long time before you decided I'm gonna actually try the pro route yeah. How did you grapple with that? Because it, it's very clear you knew you had it in you. You knew you had good feedback. You had role models like Angie. And yet still, <laughs> you were living your like grown up big girl pants life. Yep. And trying mm-hmm. to kind of make those two coexist in a way uh, that wasn't going to necessarily lead you to the to the pro route. Right. Yeah. So I think first off, what happened is I started training heavily in kickboxing, hoping I would get a fight. And I ended up in a relationship that was distracting me from fighting as much. And in my head, I was like, because I, I didn't, again, I was 27, but say what you will about ages and expectations about stuff like that. But I didn't really know what was important to me at the time values like I wasn't sure what I should care more about you know Uh, because the world conditions you didn't care about certain things and so I realized after that relationship ended that I felt bad about myself because what I really wanted was to fight and I let that distract me from fighting so I learned my lesson from that Um, and then after that I was like okay well one of the things I noticed is that there's a difference between people who make it and people who don't make it. And it's like, there's also a difference between people who are in marriages or relationships that last 
and relationships that don't last. And these are the big, these, this is the big thing. Like it, it's, again, it's actually pretty simple. The people who make it are the people who don't stop. Hmm. Period. It's not the most talented person. It's not the most hardworking person. Yes, those things will get you far. Those things will get you further faster. Okay. But it's the people who don't stop who end up getting it, who go to the top, who get the thing. Right. So that. And so I was like looking at people who didn't stop. And I was like, oh, well, if I don't stop, then I got this in the bag, but I got to start yeah. to not stop. <laughs> Just going to say with the relationship thing, the, in case you're wondering what, what that determinator is, it's that both people want the relationship to last. Like the, they made up their mind that they're going to be together forever, period. It's not communication, fidelity, infidelity. It's because they both decided we're going to be together forever. I get that about not stopping. But as you're saying that, all I can think, like my, again, anxiety, my anxiety just shoots up. Like I'm like, well, how do you not get burnt out if you're not stopping? But I guess what you mean is... I don't mean, I don't mean don't take breaks. Right. No, you have to take breaks to keep going. That's actually a really good, a really good point that you brought it up. Because, okay, I'm going to give you an example. There's this chick named Rose Namagunas, who is used to be world championship at 115 pounds, uh, super high level. She only has like 17 fights. But... Her net worth and her, um, like, how do you call it? Like, marketability as a fighter is, like, top 1%. Really? Even though she doesn't fight that much because she's beat the hardest people. She's done it multiple times and in an exciting fashion. She only takes fights that she knows are going to show a different skill set of hers that allow her to grow as a martial artist. My point is she takes a lot of breaks. But she keeps going. Yeah. And she and because of that, she has differentiated herself from her. I was gonna say, she it sounds like she has a pretty clear strategy too. And the reason I wanted to bring the burning yourself out part too, because I know I, I I suffered from that. Like I had to walk away and take a break because I couldn't do it anymore. I remember you having even getting really sick at some point once where you've just kept going and going. Yeah. And going as hard on all of the fronts. Yeah. So I think that um, still to this day, I'm susceptible to burnout. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I saw it modeled as a youngster. So what I mean by that is uh, both of my parents are workaholics. They always have been. My dad is uh, retired, fully retired from everything now, but is still finding work. <laughs> Like he's, you know, he just doesn't know what to do with himself. Yeah. He doesn't feel useful. He doesn't feel productive unless, even though he worked all his life to retire. And now that he's retired, you know, it's like so much a part of his identity to work. And his health has sucked. Like really bad. And I recently went back to visit my parents after one of my fights. And I realized that they both do this thing where they overwork and they over like they exhaust themselves they don't have good boundaries uh, to other people and ultimately i i saw from a different perspective that both of them are modeling low self-worth wow. yes so so what that means to me is that they my parents were conditioned by society their parents mm -hmm. poverty all of it 
to equate their worth with how much money they were bringing in, how much utility they brought to the household and all of that. Instead of being like, hey, I'm wor- I'm worthy of love and support no matter what. And I'm a human being, things like that. They, that's not a thing they ever think. And so since I saw my parents do that growing up, I think I adopted a lot of the same thing. And it has gotten me like, I'm saying far, like I, I'm a, an achiever, but it's not like I'm a billionaire. You know what I mean? Well, I'm a little bit older than you. I would equate the same from like my dad and you're my brother. Like I also think that there's a generational aspect to it that it's still in my generation like i'm 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 an elder millennial um because i'm like in the in the middle there um yeah that i see younger people embracing more the idea of you can have other ways of measuring your worth right and i think that what we are starting to realize collectively is that what we used to think was going to like get us to the top or whatever it's really not going to get you everything you want anyway because the economy is so like unpredictable. People who run the government are like breaking yeah. laws. It's just like it doesn't make sense yeah. anyway. So why don't you sacrifice your health to work in a system that doesn't care about yeah. you? It doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I saw my parents like doing certain things that I was like, oh, turns out. Kids don't talk to themselves the way that you talk to them growing up. Kids talk to themselves the way you talk to yourself when they're growing up. When I learned that, I was like, oh, crap. So for me, it became a priority to start talking to myself nicer. Because I don't want my kids to talk to themselves. Yeah. You know, I used to be like, I would be like, wait. Why is it that it's my dad's voice in my head? I like my mom had custody of us. Why is it my dad's voice? It must have had more of an impact on me the way that he talked to himself when I was around. That's like part of a bigger picture thing of like overachieving or burning out. But I bring it up because I feel like that's what ended up contributing to my burnout without really realizing it. I think in my head, I was just like, I know what I'm capable of. I can do all these amazing things not really knowing how to take care of myself because my parents didn't really take care of themselves. You were the one who told me that you like basically forced me to take time. Yes. And I was like, okay, but only until I'm better. You know, like even then I wasn't willing to accept it because I just wasn't, I didn't know enough to realize what I was actually doing by continually making myself sick. You know? Yeah. I, I did force you to take some time off, which I think was good. Um, but I also remember when you quit. Were you scared? Like when you, because you weren't just quitting, you were moving across the country. Yeah. At that point, were you living, you were living with your grandmother, Yeah, so right? I, so what I did is I left New York City July 4th and I moved to Pennsylvania. And the reason I moved to Pennsylvania is because my grandmother was 100 years old at the time. And we were very close. But we never, uh, like, spent, uh, like, lived together. And I knew that the end of her life was coming, so I wanted to spend some time with her before I moved out to California. And so at the time, I had negotiated with my supervisor if I could work remotely just in general. Because that was my first move, was to become something. I wasn't sure how long I was going to be there, but I ended up being there, like, six months-ish. 
um because i knew there was a gym there that i was training at and all of that and it was just one of those things again like falling asleep at night like wondering about it like my grandmother was my heart so it was very i'm very glad that i did that i would never change what they did i would always go back to the period of time i was with uh, but there was actually something that happened while I was working in Pennsylvania, two big things that happened that kind of made it a little bit easier for me to <laughs> decide that I was going to leave. Um, one of them, I don't know if it's like appropriate to mention on the podcast, but I felt, let's just put it this way. I felt like something, an incident happened where I felt like sort of like trust was my level of trust changed. Uh, in the team mm. yeah it felt weird so uh i asked my dad i was like should i just leave because i wanted to like rage quit and he was like don't do it he was like don't do it you need financial security like you can leave another time like don't leave like that like if you're gonna leave then make it be positive or whatever and i did take his advice uh so i didn't rage quit but i gave myself time because you know <laughs> Because I deserve better, yeah. you know. So that's what I did. But it, but there was a thing. There was a. It's kind of like when a relationship is breaking down, you see a few red flags. It was a red flag. So, um, yeah, I wrote it out a little bit longer to kind of like see where I was at and what I needed, and then I moved out to California. And uh, I think within a year, I ended up deciding to leave. But one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to fight first. I wanted to have a fight, have a few fights to see if this is really like if, if I what I believe to be true was true, you know, that I had talent. I had what it took and all of that. So I went five and all as an amateur. And I felt like that gave me the confidence to be like, OK, let's take it to the next level. And then at that point, I was like, OK, well. I'm already married to martial arts at this point, right, because I fought like I had five fights within a calendar year. Um, I would show up to Zoom meetings with like little black guys and stuff. Often I would like I would take only the Friday off and then fight on Saturday and be back in the office on Monday. You know, I definitely wanted it. I really wanted it. And when I I ended up dating my significant other uh, who was on the pro team already and he was training twice a day and I was seeing how he was how quickly he was getting better. And I was like, okay, this is like my next step. Like I'm going to be able to train in the morning and at night. And this is how I'm going to do it. So I kind of like figured out my money and what I was going to do for work and stuff uh, to be able to transition. And, you know, I think because I was working with you and some other people who were like majorly supportive of my love for martial arts and like you guys could see the passion that I had, it felt like it felt um, pretty natural to like phase out and um, you know leave to be yeah. a pro fighter yeah i remember that actually I, I i i remember going to visit you for your <laughs> birthday when you had first moved to california and i remember being like shocked because you would work new york hours yeah from california then take a basically 10 minute nap and then go train and talk about like do it again. Yeah, you were all in. And so as you're talking about how, you know, something happened at work that kind of you already you already had that inkling to leave and then you kind of tried it out. 
I see how you might have not been as scared to say, now I'm really yeah. going to do well, this. Well, and another important part. So I had, I actually, I don't remember when I did a squad, but I did a squad, I think in 2019, the year that I left. And, and it was a career transitions group. And, um, and Sally had a podcast about career transitions and I took all of her points to heart. Dude, the things that she said made so much sense. She was like, save your money. Know that you're going to start from the bottom at money wise at the new place. Allow time to develop your skills, just like really practical stuff. And I took all of that to heart. And, and it was only when I felt fully prepared, did I actually make the move because my sister gives me a lot of shit for like just doing it, like just do it, just you'll figure it out. Yeah. And, and you know, she, I love her and I respect her and she was right. It's just that like, you know, I'm not going to just do something feeling like I can't take care of myself. And that didn't make a lot of sense because I've been independent since I, you know, doubt like, I have to take care of myself. I can't just like, oh, whatever I want. Like, I'm going to be a crazy fighter now. That's just like not my style. How did it feel to get your first pro fight? First off, I had been trying to get matched up. I was being my own matchmaker. Dude, it felt like the most right thing ever. It felt like the most natural thing ever. And it's still my best performance to be. Like, I would... In and out, yeah, that, yeah, in and out, choked her right away, did exactly what I knew I could do. And that is, that girl is a dangerous fighter. She's still now a dangerous fighter. Like, she's very good. But uh, I knew that I could go into her hometown and kick her ass easy peasy because I was so determined. Like, I knew what I wanted. I knew what I was going to do. I was very crystal clear. Um, so it felt really good. Yeah, but then very quickly, I took a loss. And then uh, because of burnout stuff, I was just like all over the place. I took a loss right after that. And then COVID happened. So, you know, the highs are high for a little while. The lows are lows for a little while. But things always change. So I have actually two questions because I want to go into COVID because it's true. You had to you were going up, up and then the world stopped. Yeah. It must have been really hard to like have gone in that trajectory and then have COVID come to stop everything. Did you feel like you had to get started again? No, but I did go a year and a half without a fight. And that really took a toll. And I still, to this day, I'm not going to blame that on anything on that, but I'm 37 now. I have seven pro fights. I'm not in the UFC yet. I can't help but think if I had gotten fights during that time, if my trajectory would have changed, you know, because uh, I always thought, oh, I would fight and then I would have kids. Mm -hmm. Right. Not like, oh, I'll have a kid in the middle of it or, oh, I maybe won't have a kid now. You know, like none of that stuff occurred. To me. You know, the money thing is another thing. It's like I think that. The COVID situation really just contributed to our mental instability of like, where am I going to get my neck? Where am I? How am I going to pay my bills? I think everybody kind of felt that way. And so, yeah, it was a weird one. It was a weird one for sure. Not just that, but I lost my grandma during COVID and we lost our baby nephew. And, and I lost my dog right after. So it was like really a lot of 
grieving and loss and just like not really knowing how to walk through life um at that point at least that's what the experience felt like to me and with my another and i he actually won a title during covid <laughs> like it was insane it's just like all kinds of crazy stuff happening and then he lost the title after the baby died and it was just like a lot of really intense things happening in our lives at that time so i think it was just one of those things where what do they call it a character building year you just learn you kind of learn what you're made of you kind of like see the ugly parts of yourself and learn that you got to put one foot in front of the other and i think in a way it is depressing and terrible and sad but it is also like you know you can get through it now no matter what happens like thank you for sharing that yeah i think i can understand the character building aspect of it i don't think i can imagine you went through a lot that year and that stuff doesn't hit you right away you know it does but then it doesn't because your brain numbs you and then you're like i still gotta go to work or whatever it is so yeah and then you have to process it differently. Like you were asking me before we started recording, like how, where am I in, uh, in my processing? And it's not clear. And one day it's one thing and then the other day it's another thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's an emotional roller coaster. And then there's like new developments or then there's no developments. And you're like, start being like, wait, how am I supposed to feel? You know? And it's like, it's more important to just like let yourself experience what you're did you ever think of quitting no no the only time that it's crossed my mind is actually recent really yeah well because i can't see right after my last <laughs> and that's like a little bit and, and the thing is i can't get into the doctor for like it's been a long time like i've been waiting to see a doctor so i think if and when I get a surgery done on my eyes and I feel better about this, then I'll be less, feel less that way. But I've been having dreams that people in fights like come out with missing arms and stuff. I'm just realizing that the industry, that fighting is like such a brutal, it is, I mean, I, I'm You're just realizing that. Yeah, yeah. No, I knew that. I just, you know, I guess I just thought in my head, not that I'm accident proof or anything like that. Not that I always keep my hands up, that I'm perfect. But um, I guess I just, you know, thought I'll take my chances. Yeah, you hadn't been really, like, really injured until now. Never. Never. And this isn't even, like, really that bad. It's just that I can't fight. So you're thinking of quitting because you can't do it right, right now. Right, right, right. I'm like, oh, well, I'm, uh, well, not quitting, but I guess, like, that it crossed my mind because I'm like, what if I can never see right again? Yeah. I'm not going to get cleared to fight. So I guess that's not really quitting. It's just like, yep, no, forcefully retiring. But, but that's that more like fear that you can't do the thing you love. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, no, no, not yet. But I'm sure there will be a day. I'm sure there will be. It's just not right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's cool. It's the coolest thing. It's like, and even when I do leave like MMA as an active professional fighter, like, I'm going to have my own gym. I'm going to be teaching classes until the end of time. Like there's no, there's no stop to that for me. You know, I'll be like, even when I'm like old and not able to move my body, I'm going to be like the guest of honor teaching a seminar, you know, like it's going to be a part of my life till the day I die for sure. 
I love that so much. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. And I honestly, like, I feel like I come from a codependent background and a lot of martial arts was me, uh, like finding myself, like learning more about myself as an adult, because I feel like I didn't do that at all as a kid. Like I was not given the opportunity to learn about myself as a kid. And so, um, you know, I'm very fortunate that this sport allowed me to learn more about myself as an adult. And so in that way, I was very independent. But the thing is, you do martial arts with people. And it really, I don't know how to describe the experience of doing martial arts with people because it really is like the great equalizer. There are people of so many different backgrounds and beliefs that are on those mats that are really just there to try to be better. And, you know, there's a lot of us are there because we have past trauma. We want to learn how to defend ourselves. So that gets sketchy too sometimes. <laughs> but as long as you have the light, right leadership there, um, it's a positive experience. And because I met my significant other through martial arts and we currently teach and want to have a team and a gym of our own one day, to me, that's like, God, I'm so blessed. You know, like I never, when I started, I never would have thought that that's what I was I just wanted to like fight in the cage like I wanted to like be cool and rip people apart like I thought that was so cool but now I'm like oh this is like wow I, I feel so blessed and that's what people say when they when they that's what people mean when they say like follow what you care about and everything will fall into place you know I never thought that that would be my life that I'm gonna like have a gym with my significant other and we teach little three-year-olds how to defend themselves crazy but i'm so happy that that's what happened i didn't know i needed it i didn't know that's what i wanted uh, that makes me that makes me really happy because i don't know what the fuck i want yeah maybe if i start doing doing it doing something right you just gotta try and i think part of it is like again like you doing that work where you were like oh i always wanted to write that's it. That's part of it. That's something, you know. Yeah. Part of what I'm doing now with this, which is yeah, storytelling in many ways. Yeah, and you know, the good thing is you have so much experience with, uh, like, in the work world. You know how things work. You're well connected. So if you did want to monetize something or at least learn more, you have a good network. Like you, you're set up to like do whatever it is you want to do and be able to make money. You know, I like, so. have the resources. Oh, no, that's like that's just your lack of confidence talking. But I'm telling you, I know you and I know that you have all of this. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I have one last question. OK. What would you go and tell the how did you phrase it? That depressed 27 year old that walked into the gym. My grandma has this. Uh, well, had this. um coffee cup and i think this is a quote from a movie or something but it said on it don't let the bastards get you down i think something to that effect like like listen there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of things that are going to try to divert you but just listen to your heart like stay focused on yourself don't let that other stuff stress you out like just just do you you know yeah yeah and, and like and stick with it stick with what makes you happy with the martial arts it's not always going to be the same thing that makes you happy too 
because I realized like my boyfriend and I both just had a fight and we both lost, which doesn't happen that much. So we're both kind of like, like short circuited, like we don't know what to do with ourselves. And I forcefully had to take a break from my eye, but he, and he had a few small injuries, but nothing that had to keep him out of the gym and he's ramping up again. Right. So I have to mentally be like, Hey, it's not just martial arts that can make you happy, you know? So you have to make those adjustments too. You know, it's like, open up a little yeah i think that's a perfect way of ending this yeah thank you tuba you're welcome thank you for listening to shit i just quit my job i hope you found this conversation useful means the world to me please share with your friends